I remember sitting in my room one day shortly after I became a Christian, and I wondered, how do I pray? I could recall how others prayed at church. I thought about my pastor who prayed from the pulpit, and it just sounded so eloquent, so precise without using extra words. But here I am feeling like I'm stumbling and stammering over my words as if I've never spoken before. Maybe you could relate. Perhaps you could relate to my reasoning as well. Part of that is that I felt very vulnerable standing before the Lord, and I wanted to make sure that I got it right. Because surely if I got my prayer right, the Lord would answer and the Lord would hear me. Part of that could have been because I don't really trust God. I had been pleading with him for years for something that I wanted and desired and wanted him to rescue me out of something. And I felt like God had just been sitting silent in my worst moments. And I found myself thinking in those dark moments, God, what are you doing? You know what? I didn't have time to feel that emotionally. I wanted to move it on, move on from it, stuff it down, pretending like it wasn't there. And so I would not process it in my own heart and keep moving because I had a lot of things that would distract me. Maybe there's a lot of distractions even for you as college students. There is the next test or exam. Maybe there's the next fellowship meeting or Bible study. Maybe you're on leadership team or exec, and there's a lot of things pining for your attention. And so you can pray in those public settings because other people are praying, but you don't really need to focus on a prayer life with the Lord for yourself. So I think no matter where you fall in the examples that I have given today, it is clear that there are many reasons that feel very valid to not pray to move away from the Lord, to disappear from him, and to give excuses not to spend in community and relationship with him. So my hope here today is that we might put those excuses to bed, that we would learn how to pray when life feels busy and when it feels hard, and that we would pray without ceasing. We're going to first look at that by jumping into our outline. We're going to see three points here that we're going to walk through today. We're going to see the simplicity of prayer, how God really makes that easy. We're going to hear two warnings about prayer, how not to pray. And we're going to have some really practical directions for prayer. After we wrap that up, I'm going to invite two friends up here with me. We're going to have a little panel discussion about what prayer has looked like in their lives personally. And after that, I feel like I'd be remiss in not allowing us time to pray here. So I'm going to prepare your hearts now that we're going to pray in groups later on about anything that the Lord might have on your heart for you today. And so let me first pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Thank you that you treat us far better than we deserve. Thank you for the time that we can spend here together, gathered around your word, hearing from your people, and hearing how there is hope out of heartache. Lord, thank you for examples like Naomi who cries out to the Lord and brings people into her heartache. I pray that we would be people that bring you into our heartache, that we see that you draw near and that you draw close to us. Lord, would you bless our time? Would you bless the hearing of your word? In your name I pray. Amen. And so... First, let's jump in, and we're going to go a little bit backwards before we jump forward. I don't know if you see your text on page 30 here. We're first going to jump in to Matthew 7. The reason why we are doing this is because I want to establish the right reality about God, who he is, and how we approach him when we go to prayer. 
So Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will, he, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, fa- will your father, who is in heaven, give you good things to those who ask? In this verse, we can see three very obvious actions that are kind of happening and are at play here. And we can also see three very obvious results that happen. Did you see it? It says in verse 7, ask and it will be given. It says, if we seek, we will find. And if we knock, it will be opened. So there seems to be this relationship between us and God and us participating in his work. One of the first questions I asked from this section is like, why? Well, if you follow the trail, it says it doubles down in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So we are asking God, and he is giving. We are seeking God, and we are finding, and he is, we are knocking, and the door is opened. And it left me scratching my head here. What is God trying to communicate? And the comparison and contrast in verse 10 really helped to tease that out here. That God is a good God. That he gives good gifts to his children. That we, as are evil in our flesh and we are sinners, we want to give good gifts to the people who are around us. And particularly, he uses the, the idea about children. We want to give good gifts to our children. We want to do that for them because we love them, because we care for them. Obviously, you guys likely don't have children in this room. I have three children, and I like to give good gifts to my, to my kids. And it says here, God who is in heaven is a good God who wants to give good gifts to his children. He wants to give good gifts to you. This helps us see and understand his character. It helps us see that he is for us and that he loves us. And so we can ask much because he wants to give us good gifts. This passage lays the foundation for his character that he cares deeply and intimately for our needs. He is trustworthy that God is faithful and he proves himself over time throughout all scripture and even just here in these short three, four verses that he cares for you and that he is going to sustain you. This is the God that we are calling upon as we pray. We get to participate in God's work as we ask what the God's will is for our lives, as we seek that will by faithfully walking out whatever we think that the Lord has called us to and that the Lord is opening doors for us in the process. And so there's much more we can chew on, and I wish we had even time to break down this text even further because I feel like that didn't even give it complete justice. But we have to move on to our next part of our text, and it's in Matthew 6. The reason why I'm bringing us to Matthew 6 is that we laid a foundation for prayer, and it's going to walk us through prayer. And so I'm going to give you a quick definition before we continue on reading. And so prayer here is asking God, being in communication with God because of who he is and what he has promised. So prayer is asking God because of who he is and what he has promised. So asking God anything. 
And so this section in Matthew 6 is the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer comes right out of the Sermon on the Mount, which is literally Jesus on a mountain talking to his disciples about many things. And here we have this here. It starts where he is asking us to be aware of the needy people around us and the people who, I'm sorry, it talks about giving to the needy and being aware of our self-righteousness that can happen as we do so. And so he compares the Lord's prayer when talking about our reasoning for praying. And so let's read real quick. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your room and shut the door and pray that your father, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for, their, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this then. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily bread and forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father who will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And so this is going to move us into the second point on our outline, our two warnings that the text gives that the Lord immediately starts with. And it's right here in verse 5. He instructs the disciples not to pray like hypocrites. So at a base level, they should be not praying like people that act contradictory to what they say and what they believe. If you look further into verse 5, we see it explained. Look down with me again. It says, For, or because, the hypocrites love to stand at the synagogues and the street corners so that they may be seen by others. So here seems to be the root. Jesus instructs his disciples to not pray like the hypocrites because they're only doing so because they're seeking to be seen by other people and not the Lord. We see that Jesus says that they have received their reward. And you may be asking, what could their reward be? Well, they wanted to be seen by others, and boom, there's their gift. There's their reward. That's all they got from that. As we move further into the text, we get a greater contrast of how we are supposed to pray. In verse 6, if you look down with me, he continues. He says, when we pray, we can do so in private. It says that we go into a room and shut the door and pray To our Father who's in secret and our Father who sees us in secret, he will reward us. What does that mean? Well, if you're going to compare it to the hypocrite section here, I think Jesus is trying to encourage us to pray, not necessarily all by ourselves in our room, and that's the only way you can pray. That's, I don't think that's what he's trying to say here. There's not a magical equation or a vending machine that where you put in the right amount of currency, the Lord will listen to you and the Lord will hear you, and out will come the exact prayer you've been hoping for, or the answer to the prayer you've been hoping for. No, I don't think that's going to be the result. I think the result is that this passage is trying to say that your reward is not going to be accolades from other people but it's that the Lord sees you. He hears you, 
and you are approved by him and not other people. That's why you would go into your room, to seek the Lord, not other people. The second warning that Jesus gives is in verse 7. It says that when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases to God as the Gentiles do. Empty phrases here, it can mean a lot of things. There's a lot of ways this can go. But at a base level, it could mean offering God words that don't have very much meaning. So if your goal is to be fancy and eloquent and precise, maybe use your words to manipulate, and that's how you're going to approach God, to try and manipulate him into doing what you, he wants, you want him to do, that is the language we should not use to the Lord. We should not heap up those empty phrases. We should not try and manipulate the Lord and try and be fancy and eloquent. If we look further into verse 7, we can see that the Gentiles did it so that they could be heard for their many words. So they hoped that their words would make them be heard. So their heart motivation was to manipulate God, but Jesus says, don't be like them. Why? There are many reasons, but we see in verse 8 that our Father knows what we need before we even ask. Remember, friends, God sees you and he hears you. You are approved by him, so you don't need to offer empty phrases and empty words to convince him of your needs. He knows them already. He is a good father who is faithful and who will provide for your needs. And this is really, really good news. And so how does this apply? Well, prayer is going to be much simpler than we think. We serve a God that we don't have to woo to hear us. Our life circumstances don't need to look perfect. We don't have to have our lives and our acts put together. We don't need to make ourselves look extra attractive by using fancy, fun, eloquent words or shouting from center stage. No, in fact, the opposite is true. Because we are his creation, because we are his people, God found us so attractive that he sent his son to find us, to make us right with God by paying the penalty for our sin, dying on the cross, raising again, defeating death, and absorbing God's righteous wrath because Jesus is making us right with God. This is good news. He delights in hearing from us personally because what Christ did on the cross. And so we can approach him humbly. We can approach him personally. And we can delight knowing that God hears our needs before we even ask. And we have a God so in tune with us that he just knows. Amen? Now, don't hear me say that I'm giving an excuse that we can disappear on God because he knows our needs before we even ask. That could be pretty easy. I would probably be thinking that. I often think that. I don't need to pray that. God totally knows. It's fine. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not trying to do, give that excuse. I think prayer is still important. Even though God knows what we need, it really helps us to see our reliance on God. It helps us to regularly humble ourselves and to realize our place before him, that we are needy people and we need the Lord. And like I remember, like I mentioned earlier, remember that it helps us to remember the God's promises so that we can call upon them to do what God has already promised to do. And one way you can call upon God to do what he's already promised to do is to be in the word and to be in fellowship with him. Like what has God promised to do? He promised that he is going to be with us, that he is going to work in our hearts and he's going to transform us to look more like Christ. We have a promise and a hope of redemption and we have that redemption. And so we can call upon God to ask for that.
Next, we're going to jump into our third point in our outline, and this is directions about prayer. Here, it's very helpful because God gets very practical, and he gives us direct examples on how to pray in verses 9 through 13 in your text. And so let's jump into this real quick. In verse 9, we see that we need to give God all the glory. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to treat with the highest honor and the highest respect. And so God being who he is, he is our creator, he is our savior, he is our redeemer, and he deserves all honor and glory. And we can acknowledge that and address that when we speak to him. So it can be as simple as just calling him by who he is, God. Second, we see from verse 10 that we should pray for God's kingdom. Look down with me. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we are praying that God would continue to transform this world, that it would be made new. So in the same way as heaven is a place where we can enjoy God and have perfect and complete satisfaction in him always, that you can obey him forever, we are asking that earth would be made that way that God would transform this earth, that his kingdom would be brought here, that we would delight in knowing him fully, that we would submit to his will joyfully, and that we would recognize that living under God's authority is so much better than our own, and it's so much sweeter. The third way we can pray is pretty quick and simple, is that we can pray for our needs. In verse 11, it says, give us this daily bread so that we So we can go to God with our daily provisional needs. Our needs could be big. Our needs could be small. Those needs could feel ugly or sad or hard. Maybe you're asking for the Lord to come close to you, to comfort you. Those needs could feel dark. And it could be asking God for help when it feels really hard to feel and see the light. God gives us plenty of room to ask much of him and anything of him. The fourth way we can pray is we can pray for forgiveness. We can ask God to not treat us as our sins deserve. But I don't know if you saw this little caveat in here that's kind of awkward that I thought about leaving out. Did you see it? It says that we are asking God to not only just forgive our own sins, that he would forgive us in the same measure that we are forgiving other people of our own, like their sins. Does that make sense? So we are asking God to forgive us in a radical way. Like not only are we asking God that to forgive us from our own sins, that we would be people who have also forgiven much of others. Like that's a pretty intense prayer. And so be careful praying that prayer. So when we look at our own hearts in praying, we are asking for forgiveness that God would help us to show off his great mercy that he has shown us to other people. So we should be praying that we are radically transformed by God so that that's evident for other people. Lastly, in our fifth point, it's that God, we can ask God for deliverance. We see that in verse 13, that we can ask God to not lead us into temptation and to be delivered from evil. So temptation in this world is going to happen, and we should expect it. Jesus was not immune to it. He was tempted. And we are asking God for protection from that temptation as it appears. We are asking for a rescue in the midst of it. 
He has also given us room to ask for protection from evil. That could be protection from evil people, but more likely here, it's really protection from Satan, that he is real and that he is working. Satan has tempted Jesus in the forest, and so he is also tempting and at work here in this earth too. And so we need to recognize that he is real and ask for protection and earnestly pray that God would be our protector in the midst of it. And so this was super quick, but as we wrap up this first portion of time together, I want to address the elephant that might potentially be in the room. Some of you have come from deep and intense trauma in your life. Some, something that I might not be able to know or imagine that has happened to you. Maybe something that you don't even feel comfortable sharing with the people who are around you or your close friends. You might be currently wrestling with the Lord through that. And because of that, you're ignoring him and not asking for him to come close. And that can feel very valid, and it totally makes sense. There's a lot of trauma responses you can have. But I want to encourage you to not run away from the Lord. Think about the trauma that Naomi went through from losing her son, both of her sons and her husband. And she was in a land that she did not know, and the Lord rescued her out of that land. And you can go to the Lord with your deep hurts, is what I want to say from that. I encourage you to run to the Lord and pursue him because there's hope even from Isaiah 53.3. I don't have that printed on your packet, but it's Isaiah 53.3. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is Jesus that this text is talking about. The Lord can take your pain and your suffering because he knows your pain and your suffering. He is acquainted with grief. I'm not saying that if you run to him, everything will be completely healed and fixed and restored. But what I'm saying is that if we don't run to him, we'll likely try and run to something else for our own salvation. And those things, they will not save you. They will not rescue you. They will be a temporary band-aid. Run to him who truly satisfies Run to him in which real community and fellowship is found. And so our next portion of time, I'm going to invite up my friends, Jean Williams and Carolyn Kirsch, to come sit with me up here. They are going to answer a couple questions for us to hopefully kind of hit home this idea of prayer. So I would love for you guys to, yeah, introduce yourself. So Jean, who are you? Obviously you're Jean, but where do you work? Carolyn, where do you work? So yeah, I uh, work uh, on Penn State's campus, the University Park. Went there uh, as a student, and I went there for beer and football and relationships, and I actually met Jesus there by God's grace. So uh, that's me. And hi, I'm Carolyn. I work on staff in the Lehigh Valley at campuses like Lafayette and Cedarcrest, but I actually Went to Gettysburg initially. I'm a Gettysburg alum, and that is where the Lord found me through Disciple Makers, and I became a Christian there, and I'm really thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, guys. So did you guys grow up? It sounds like you guys found the Lord in college here, and so you did not grow up with a foundation of prayer. Where did that foundation kind of come from in your life? What did that look like for you to find and build? Yeah, so I was raised going to church, um, but prayer for me was not a relational thing. It was something that felt like it was expected. And probably as I reflect back on my prayers then, it was probably something like, dear God, I really want, and Lord, would you please give me, which are not bad things to pray, 
But that was it was very all about me, except for I kind of had this expectation. I think I'm supposed to pray for other people, too. I knew it was expected. It felt like a duty. And that was about it. Mm-hmm. And for me, I um, grew up going to a, a Lutheran church. Um, and I really didn't pray very much. I knew the Lord's Prayer, so I would say that every once in a while. Uh, but the real thing for me was walking out pretty much every morning to my kitchen, and my mom would just be there, light on. She's the only one up. She's got her Bible open, and she's praying. Sometimes she's crying, and that really left an impact on me. Hmm. Yeah. Would you speak more about that? What kind of impact did that have, and how, how did that maybe lay a foundation even for you later? Yeah, I mean, it. I mean, my mom, everyone loves their mom, so... It really, it really just caught my attention that maybe she was doing something that I was missing. Mm. Um, you know, I had said the Our Father stuff, um, but it didn't seem, I didn't seem as close with God as she was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super helpful. So what did that look like for you to build a foundation on prayer after you became a Christian? Did you have people that you looked towards to find that foundation? Did you kind of have to find that by yourself? What did that look like? Well, I needed a lot of help (laughs) from the Lord as well as from people. I was not the most self-aware person, even as I became a Christian in college. I didn't really know much about my own self, my sin, or my suffering. So I actually had trouble talking talking about that with people and how much harder it was to talk about that with God. So the Lord actually used two key things in my life um, to draw that out, and one of them was time, which maybe isn't surprising. The other one was suffering. So what do I mean by that? First, time was helpful because practice in prayer just and time in God's word actually helped me cultivate that relationship with him. Okay, so I was in a group and I people would pray and then I would pray. And it felt awkward at first, but practice actually and just time helps. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would pray in the car and then I would pray going to bed. It just, over time, I felt more comfortable doing a thing I had not felt comfortable doing as much before. But then suffering was helpful. And maybe that feels a little bit more surprising, but I had graduated from college in May of 2018. And then in November of 2018, I had about one of the hardest months of my life. Felt like several crises had hit me at the same time. Um, and I really didn't know how to handle that. I I knew prayer was something I should do and it was part of my response, but it wasn't until I was in a sushi restaurant parking lot in my car crying so much that I knew I couldn't drive home, um, where I was, and I had no words, um, but I had heard that and I had read some of the Psalms, a book in the Bible, which I knew were ancient Israel's prayers to their God. Um, and they're very relational and they cover a range of emotions. And I, I opened up Psalm 16 and I started reading it. Actually, I started memorizing it right there in the car because it met me in a very unique way and a powerful way. I was like, this is my God. And I, when I was fighting to believe what was true about him, it felt like it gave voice to things that I wanted to remember, that I wanted to pray back to the Lord. Um, so I memorized it, not because anyone told me to, or because I any sense of duty, because I really wanted to be able to call those things to mind anytime, any place. Mm, thanks for sharing, Kayla. How about for Eugene? Yeah, that's great. Um, for me, I think the foundation you, you got at it too, for prayer and knowing how to pray was just reading the Bible first. Um, 
there are so many prayers in the Bible. You mentioned the Psalms, uh, the prayers of David when the temple is dedicated, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, New Testament even. It's just all over the place. God's people are talking to him, and those are are real models that have helped me. Um, Another thing, just going off of that, is just praying the Bible. Um, And and I can talk a little bit more about how how I've done that. Um, Another thing is prayer walks for people who love going outside. Uh, That's really helped me. You know, it's hard for me to, like, sit in a seat and, like, look at a wall. But if I'm walking outside, sometimes that gives me a little bit more freedom. Um, another thing, uh, fasting, Jesus says in Luke five, that, uh, in those days when the bridegroom is taken away, they will fast. Uh, and I had read that for so long and thought, oh, that's for the other Christians to do. Then eventually the spirit was saying, okay, Gene, you need to start fasting in those days between Jesus's first coming and his second coming, then they will fast. Um, and so that has really, that's something I've been doing this year for the first time, and it's really deepened my prayer life. Uh, we had a, a friend, her husband had an affair, and so that really compelled me to basically fast and pray for the restoration of their relationship. Thank you guys for sharing. I appreciate that. Um, what advice might you have for me? and everyone here sitting along with us about praying. I think my advice is probably don't stop trying. I think you said this earlier, Kayla. There's so many reasons why it can feel really hard to go to the Lord. I don't know what your particular struggle is, what keeps you from being able to feel like, I have a healthy, consistent prayer. Like I don't know if I know anyone who says that. Mm -hmm. Um, But just don't stop trying. There's so many different things you can try. I think re praying the scriptures might work well for you. Maybe journaling your prayers. That's been something that's really helpful for me. I got so distracted that just writing things down is helpful for me. So try that. You could try worship music might help you to pray. Um, Try something. And even if it's just a Lord help, that is a prayer Mm -hmm. to our Father who cares for his children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're still on the advice. advice. Um, Another thing, just going off of prayer again, um, I got this from Donald Whitney. I didn't come up with this. So uh, we tend to pray about the same things over and over. Sometimes we get in a rut, and sometimes that's the reason why we stop praying, because it's it kind of lacks the vibrancy. But as soon as you bring the Scriptures into it, I mean, the Scriptures are just so different from each other. Uh, so even looking at one book in the Bible, the Psalms, If you read one psalm and then go to another one, chances are they're going to be very different from each other. Not always, but... uh, And so here's one practical thing that I've uh, done, again, this year um, from Donald Whitney. Uh, 150 psalms, right? 30 days in the month. Uh, If you divide the 150 by 30, you get five psalms a day. You don't have to pray each of those five, but you can look at each of those five and say... I'm feeling this one today. Um, I'm feeling really down. Here's a, here's a lament psalm that I want to pray through. Um, and as you read through it, you're, you're just free to stop and pause and use the scriptures as a launching pad to talk to God about what's really going on in your life. 
He wants to hear from you. He wants you to ask things that Kayla has already said. Um, And so maybe one just practical way to do it is today's the 22nd, right? So this morning what I did was uh, I looked at Psalm 22. I added 30, Psalm 52, and you just keep adding 30, right? 52, 82, 112, 142. Those were my Psalms for today, and I picked one of them. Uh, So that's just one practical way to do it. You don't have to do it that way, but that's helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you guys so much for sharing. I really appreciate that. I think one last piece of advice that I might even give for you is on your packet, you have the Lord's Prayer printed. And so you can pray that prayer, and I think I timed it, and it took me like 10 seconds to say especially if you read it fast, I guess, but maybe 20 seconds maximum. So praying, it doesn't, it's, there's not a time requirement of how much time you spend praying with the Lord. It can really just take two seconds of Lord help, like you said, Carolyn. So I appreciate you sharing that. So as we have 10 minutes left before we get to lunch, I'd love for you either to pray in small groups or to pray by yourself in this room now. That might feel a little uncomfortable for you. And so If you are feeling comfortable with it, pray in groups. Ask other people to pray for you. Um, You can share your needs, and you can lift them up to the people that are around you, or you can just lift them up to the Lord. So I want to offer freedom there. So thank you, guys.